Hey friends. So this is Casey Schuler. Today I get to interview dietitian Laura Griffin about what Christians need to know about eating disorders. Um, so while Aubrey is on maternity leave, we just really wanted to get this out as a resource to you during this week, which is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. We hope it can help educate, equip, and encourage you if possibly you might be struggling with disordered eating of any kind, or if you're walking with a loved one who you are concerned about in their relationship with their food and in their body. So in addition to this podcast episode, one of our best resources to help support a healthy body image with the Lord is our body blessings course. Um, So what you will get with this course, we're going to send you your own physical journal in the mail along with access to video content. So you'll get 10 video teachings from Aubrey, who is a registered dietitian, and from myself, um, personal trainer and joyful movement trainer to complement that journal material. You will also get some printable resources. Um, You'll get uh, a printable feel wheel that has Bible verses to help integrate those emotions with scripture and help you reconnect with your physical needs. Um, We also include intuitive eating fridge and wallet card printables and audio body blessings meditation to kind of help you release and let go um, at night and be able to get reconnected with your body um, with prayer. And then you will also get a discount offer for our comprehensive 12-week Joyful Health course when you buy the Body Blessings course. So you can get that going to joyfulhealth.co slash bodyblessings. Use the discount code reconnect, and that will be good until Saturday, March 4th. You will get it for $27 off. Okay, so let's get into the episode. If you need to know where to get that information, we will also put it in the show notes. All right. Thanks so much. Hey friends, welcome to the Joyful Health Show. I'm Aubrey, registered dietitian. And I'm Casey, a personal trainer. And together we're here to help you discover joyful health by grace. Hey everyone, welcome to the Joyful Health Show. My name is Casey Schuler, and my lovely partner Aubrey is on maternity leave. She's taking care of her new baby and just getting some much needed family time at home. So this week we wanted to put out a special episode because it is National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. And we feel so strongly about this topic. We wanted to bring on a professional to ask the question. What do Christians need to know about eating disorders? So today we are talking with registered dietitian, Laura Griffin. Welcome, Laura, to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, Okay. So a little bit about Laura. She is a registered dietitian. She's an eating disorder specialist at Nutrition Counseling Center, which is a private practice located in the metro Detroit area in the state of Michigan. Um, She has worked in the field of eating disorders for several years and provides treatment at the outpatient level of care. So Laura believes that a positive relationship with food involves incorporating a wide variety of foods not only for nutrition, but also for satisfaction. So as a dietitian, she practices from a non-diet, health at every size aligned approach to assist individuals in establishing a healthy relationship with food that supports 
a positive and fulfilling life. Okay, so Laura, a little bit of background on your story and how you got to the space of eating disorder treatment. Um, how did you get here? What's kind of your history with that? And maybe how did you, how have you seen God weaving your story together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was thinking back on this and it's interesting because things that often feel coincidental when we look back, really, we can see that they weren't. Mm -hmm. Um, and so going into college, I was, uh, thinking I wanted to become an occupational therapist Mm -hmm. and I had to take a class, like an elective class. And I chose one on nutrition and I opened up my book and it said why you should become a registered dietitian. (laughs) And so, um, I started kind of reading into it and decided that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but going through the dietetics program, I was pretty sure I wanted to work with, uh, people who had struggled with diabetes and I had an internship in, uh, working or learning about eating disorders at actually a nutrition counseling center, which of course is now where I work. And so, Mm. um, I had gone through my internship there and once I was, you know, exposed to the non-diet approach, I knew as a dietitian, that's really where my passion was. And so, um, I just, you know, I had one course on eating disorders in school, so it's just, you know, a highly specialized area. And I am really grateful for the opportunity that my preceptor had offered me at the time. And now my supervisor. Mm. Uh, a place in her practice. And I'll always be grateful for the opportunity to continue to work and learn from her. So um, that's how I got here. And I really can't see myself doing anything else at this point. So yeah. Okay. So what kind of made the switch for you between um, diabetes to eating disorder? Like what attracted you to that side of the field? Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a specialty rotation where we could uh, kind of choose from an area of specialty, different various specialties. And I just decided to choose one that I had never really considered, which was eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And so through that internship, I just decided that was really where my passion was. And I just, I hadn't had exposure to it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have some you know, connections in my life with diabetes. So that was where that started, but Mm -hmm. kind of shifted into a different direction. So yeah. Okay. And so it sounds like in your internship, you were exposed to the idea of the non-diet approach. Is that, Mm -hmm. um, that's where you learned about, about health at every size and Mm -hmm. and that way of, of teaching others as well? Absolutely. Yep. The, that was, you know, that's the, the, the approach we take in the treatment of eating disorders is a non-diet health at every size aligned approach. And so I was exposed to that in a, in a variety of different ways and um, applications. And really, even I, I spent some time as a clinical dietitian and I utilized the, the same principles that mm-hmm. I had learned in that rotation. So it really can, it is the most effective approach with eating disorders, but it's also an, it's, it's an approach that I'm passionate about in my own life. And uh, so it's it's personal, but also and, and it's professional. You know, this is something that I am very passionate about and does carry over into my personal life as well. So, yeah. Okay. So tell me, does every eating disorder approach do they also take the non diet um, approach as well, or is that different? Is that unique to nutrition counseling centers? Nope. That is that's the 
that is the most researched and evidence-based approach for the treatment of eating disorders. Um, and I'll, no matter what, <laughs> okay. um, that is, that is the approach that is, um, is most supportive of eating disorder treatment. Mm-hmm. Right. And so <laughs> I, and that we, maybe we can talk about this a little bit later. Um, so it's interesting to see that that is the, so it sounds like that is the standard for eating disorder treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's maybe not mm-hmm. the standard for culture's way of treating health. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that? Like, what is the disparity there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I had said, you know, um, kind of going through school, a lot of what I learned, most of what I learned uh, has really helped in terms of getting a basis of nutrition and understanding how the body works in terms of um, food, but also that uh, my work has shifted from there. So as we know, the world that we live in is very diet focused, very mm-hmm. weight and food centric. And so uh, my a, a non-diet approach is essentially rooted in our intuitive ability to eat. And so um, being mindful of hunger and fullness and satisfaction. And of course, there are things that get in the way of us being able to do that and to be Mm -hmm. able to eat the way that we were designed to eat, Mm -hmm. uh, which is intuitively. And uh, eating disorders are one circumstance where that could interrupt, you know, someone's ability to be intuitive. So the Mm -hmm. end goal in my work with my clients is to get to a place where they're able to eat intuitively but it's really not a starting point in most Mm -hmm. situations because we have to recreate that trust within the body. But the world that we live in is very diet focused. It's focused on external cues to eat. Um, and you know, even things like nutrition fact labels and serving sizes, they are suggestions, but oftentimes are really taken, um, from a place of rigidity. And so Mm -hmm. that's where our world kind of stands in terms of eating and keeps food food and weight very centric versus mm-hmm. the approach that I take, which is a neutral approach with food, uh, where we're not talking about food as good or bad or quote healthy, quote unhealthy, you know, really that those types of uh, that perception of food keeps food in black and white categories. And the goal is to really have, you know, find a place with eating that is more in the gray area. And so mm-hmm. That's really what we're working toward. And uh, of course, this approach being health at every size aligned is consistent then with a weight inclusive or weight neutral approach. So Mm -hmm. that is um, really supporting the fact that body size diversity is an actual thing Mm -hmm. and that we are all meant to be different. There are people Mm -hmm. in larger bodies, there are people in smaller bodies, and that's okay. And Mm -hmm. that health is not determined based on the size and shape of our body. Um, Mm -hmm. So my approach is certainly an alternative to the world that we live in. Um, Mm -hmm. And which is why, you know, really, once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. (laughs) So once I, you know, was exposed to that as a student, I just, I felt very passionate about that in terms of providing care to people when it comes to food and nutrition. So. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's all very helpful. And I want to circle back around. Um, so for the mm-hmm. listener who doesn't know how to define an eating disorder, um, how mm-hmm. how do you define it from, from your practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, eating disorders in general are behavioral conditions in, ter- in 
and they can really range um, in severity. However, mm-hmm. they are essentially persistent. It's a, it's a persistent disturbance in eating disorder, or in eating behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's often associated with very distressing um, thoughts, feelings, et cetera. And it really ultimately affects and impacts someone, you know, in various areas of their life. So it, it impacts different aspects of health and, and physical health is one consideration, but also psychological health, social health, and, um, ability to function in these settings. And so, it, you know, kind of talking about eating disorders as a diagnosis generally comes, you know, from the DSM-5, which is a resource for clinicians to utilize in the assistance of diagnosing an individual with a mental illness or disorder. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, I will say that as a specialist in eating disorders and someone who really this is all I do as a career, I will mm-hmm. say that most people more often than not don't actually um, kind of fit within these very specific criteria and, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore diagnosis. So there are things that generally someone's experience could be consistent with, you know, have more, um, more characteristic of, of certain eating disorder diagnoses than others, but eating disorder, st- you know, criteria is very rigid. And we just find in working in the field that, um, the, the general clinical presentation is not that straightforward. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, there are many people are familiar with main eating disorder diagnoses, including anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, um, ARFID or avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. There's mm-hmm. actually an eating disorder diagnosis now that is um, it's essentially an other specified eating disorder or um, eating disorder not otherwise specified, basically indicating that someone is presenting with characteristics of an eating disorder, but they don't, you know, kind of meet those specific criteria. So, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. So it sounds like they're, it's not like, okay, I can check off the boxes and now I can say, I do have an, I do struggle with an eating disorder, or like you can't just look at someone and diagnose someone. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, you know, really in, in my work, we look at eating as a spectrum. So Mm -hmm. on one end of the spectrum, we see normalized eating behaviors. And then on the other end of the spectrum is an eating disorder diagnosis. And in the middle there, we see a lot of what we consider to be disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Um, Or again, there are consistencies that's with an eating disorder, however, aren't specific to that criteria to a T. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the field of eating disorders really continues to evolve in so many ways. And so we're still learning a lot about eating disorders. And oftentimes the way our society views an eating disorder is really not consistent with what we observe as clinicians. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, this can show up, as you said, in terms of, you know, making assumptions about someone's health by looking at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, eating disorders don't have a look. They can exist in any size and shape of anyone's body. You know, we can't assume anything by looking at someone. And, you know, for instance, anorexia nervosa, who, you know, which some people, you know, through the decades have 
it's been this perception that this has only existed in in those in smaller bodies. And what we found through research is that's not to be that's not the case. And so mm-hmm. there are people in larger bodies who do struggle with anorexia nervosa. So this is a common misconception. Mm-hmm. And all eating disorders can exist in various ages and walks of life, races, ethnicities, genders, sexual orientation. There's just a very wide uh, a very wide range. And it's important to keep that in mind when we're talking about eating disorders as well. There's just a lot of misconceptions about them. So, yeah. Okay. So that's really, um, that's really helpful to see that there are no, um, strict definitions. It's not black and white. And you mentioned that gray area and it's funny because, um, Megan, one of our, uh, your, one of your friends and registered dietitian, she talked about, this gray area, but she said the word that grace area, she said it plural and we're like, Oh, the grace area. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so being able mm-hmm. to see like that food doesn't exist in a black and white, like there is grace when it comes to food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm thinking of like some personal examples of, you know, stories with friends who, you know, it's like they struggled with some disordered eating habits when they were younger and thought, why did no one notice this? And why did no one help me? Um, what would you say to that person or, or what would you say to those who, um, may have someone in their life that they are worried about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are a few statistics I came across that I wanted to share just for us to be kind of just aware of the prevalence of eating disorders and when they tend to kind of start. And oftentimes, um, people will recognize, you know, times in their life where they had struggled and Mm. our society oftentimes normalizes a lot of disordered eating behaviors. And so it can be really hard to Mm. identify those early signs because, we might see things on social media or we might see things, you know, we might have a family member doing a certain, you know, something with food or on a diet or, mm-hmm. and it's just so normalized in our world that it's really hard to identify initially mm-hmm. um, our struggles and where that shows up. But it's important to keep in mind that eating disorders are progressive diet, progressive disorders. And so okay. We know that they essentially are getting progressively better or progressively worse. And so we're really looking for that progression. So, you know, if you're a parent, you know, kind of just kind of usually we will notice things in in children or adolescents where it was kind of that progression that got us to a certain place. But then looking back, we can usually identify, oh, yeah, you know, that was when I started to you know, limit certain foods or feel really concerned about my weight or mm. And then we can usually go backward and see that it happened much sooner than it was really identified. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's really what we're kind of being mindful of. But also that eating disorders are, they usually start with an innocent idea. You know, mm-hmm. these are not disorders that happen overnight. And so it could be an, an innocent idea of wanting to, quote, eat healthier or, you know, quote, lose some weight or, you know these types of disorders start with some form of a diet. And so Mm. um, if we're kind of just paying attention to things like a sudden change, um, initially it does show up that way. Like, oh, I noticed this and then I noticed this and it was kind of that domino effect. Mm -hmm. And so 
Um, but these are, you know, there are emotional and behavioral as well as physical symptoms with eating disorders. And so mm. I can kind of go into some of them if you'd like, you know, to speak to a couple of them, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that'd be very helpful. Yeah. Also because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, let's, let's go with that first. And then I have another question to ask you after that. So yeah. What are some of those? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So emotional and behavioral can really, um, there it generally shows up as I said as an innocent thought of weight loss, dieting, uh, trying to really be rigid with eating. Those are kind of the primary concerns. Feeling preoccupied with thoughts about food or weight, our bodies, um, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, you know, it's it's important to I guess even I was looking back at some statistics that I wanted to share as well and yeah. Um, one of the statistics that came across was that 42% of first through third grade girls want to lose weight. They want to be mm-hmm. smaller than they are. And then 81% of 10 year old children are afraid of gaining weight. And mm-hmm. so, you know, a couple of other, you know, a couple of other statistics in terms of going on diets. I mean, this can start as at age nine and, there was a staggering statistic in the college college campus survey that I came across that was 91% of the women admitted to controlling their weight through dieting. Mm. So just a very high prevalence and um, kind of being mindful of where that shows up. And, and again, people usually start to notice how it's impacting other areas of their life. They, you know, struggle in social settings and, you know, they might not, they might feel very low energy. So Usually it's when that rigidity comes up. It can also come through food rituals, mm. uh, you know, skipping meals, snacks, times when they were used to eat, used to eating, um, kind of starting to cut those times of day out. As I said, it's that progression mm. that happens, um, you know, withdrawing from friends and social activities. Um, you know, people might feel more concerned about their body you know, using the mirror really often and, and things like that. Physical symptoms usually show up, as I said, in terms of, you know, energy, difficulty, sleeping, thoughts about food and body. Mm-hmm. Ironically, you know, thoughts about food are a hunger cue. And so mm-hmm. many people I work with, you know, they say they think about food really often and really that's oftentimes the body communicating that it needs energy. So, um, of course there are things like abnormal labs and, you know, any changes in a menstrual cycle for, um, for some people who struggle with eating disorders, but I will tell you that the body is very protective. And so Mm. I, I, in many situations, these types of physical symptoms are, you know, like labs and things will show up normal, even though there's a lot of other things going on that are certainly concerning. So Yeah. I love that phrase that the body is protective. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something to really keep in mind that our body is not working against us. Whereas if we live in diet culture, we can be made to believe that we can be made to distrust our body because when we try to lose weight on a diet and our body resists, then we can think that our body is trying to harm us. Whereas actually our body is there to help us. And it's just like mm-hmm. such a beautiful gift from the Lord of like, I, you're, I put you in this home of your body and that's the good design of like, this is also me protecting you in this way and wanting to bring you life. And that like those subtle signs um, 
are, yeah, like you said, thinking about food a lot. Um, I, you know, like personal confession, I used to think that was very normal. Um, and so I didn't even know that there was like, I knew about eating disorders, but I didn't know about disordered eating habits. Um, but like you said, they can get progressive and to be able to see some of those points of origin, um, in my own life of like, you know, trying elimination diets to heal something in my body, but then really affecting my social life of like going out to eat with friends and thinking I can't order this thing. And all I'm thinking about at the end of this time is how I'm unhappy because I can't eat these certain things. And I'm not even present. I'm not even thinking about my friends because I can only think about myself and food. And that was so frustrating. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, it, it kind of, it's not just it's not just a body type. It's you don't know what's going on inside people's minds. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. so with that, like if we notice some of these signs and behaviors in our friends or in our loved ones, what should we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in in kind of speaking a little bit to to those physical symptoms, in, um, really quickly about the. Uh, sometimes people are waiting for a visible change. And sometimes mm-hmm. that does show up in terms of, you know, noticeable fluctuations in weight. And again, that's based on someone's normal, not according to the BMI. So mm-hmm. we're not going off of, you know, um, in terms of the terminology that we use, quote, underweight, or we're not looking for things like that with people who struggle with eating disorders, or as you said, disordered eating. Because again, you know, we're looking for any fluctuation that is um, different from that person's normal. And that includes those in larger bodies and those in smaller bodies. And so Mm -hmm. really being mindful of that, some people are using that as their one consideration. So if it's someone Mm -hmm. close to you, being mindful that we might not actually see these things. And and, um, the other thing that you mentioned, Casey, is about the GI disturbance that you experienced. I will say uh, gastrointestinal, you know, a lot of discomfort comes up for people. And oftentimes that happens as a result of disordered eating patterns. Mm. And so they do start to make changes of the foods that they're eating, thinking it's the food that's causing the GI disturbance, but oftentimes it's the, it's the disordered eating pattern itself. So a lot of that does improve, but kind of, uh, you know, in terms of how do we care for those, you know, if we suspect an eating disorder, I think, really coming from a place of compassion, from a place Mm -hmm. of care, people struggling with an eating disorder are, um, you know, it really is impacting every area of their life and they need that place of compassion from those around them. Yeah. Uh, I will say that if, if someone is again, disordered eating oftentimes can progress into a eating disorder. So it doesn't always, but that is important to be mindful of too. If it's impacting someone's life in the various areas of their life, then that's valid. They don't have mm-hmm. to meet criteria, quote unquote, for an eating disorder to seek support. Right. So there are clinicians with this specialty, you know, in eating disorders, as I said, that is important because um, it is not an area that many clinicians within the medical community are. Um, educated on. Mm -hmm. It is an area that it's kind of like, you know, there are, there are different doctors for different concerns, right? There are, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have concerns with um, your heart, there's, you know, cardiologists concerns with, you know, 
um, there's neurologists, there's, you know, all of these different types of doctors with specialties. And I kind of, I kind of use that very similarly for people who struggle with eating disorders, that it's important that they're meeting with clinicians who have that area of specialty, mm-hmm. or they can, if they're working with someone, for instance, a dietitian, a therapist, and they're struggling in that way, they can mention that to a clinician they're working with. And that clinician could provide them with the, with the support they need. Um, But, you know, just kind of being mindful of that to really reach out early. Mm -hmm. So the longer we wait, the the less likely that would be that the person could get to a place of recovery or establishing a positive relationship with food. So sometimes Mm -hmm. we'll just kind of say, oh, it's no big deal. It'll go away. Mm -hmm. Eating disorders do not go away on their own. Unfortunately, you know, we need that support. And so people who struggle chronically with eating disorders generally can identify times in their life where, you know, maybe if they had reached out to someone who could help them, that could have prevented that progression or gotten to a place where it was a more chronic situation. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and really trying to get a, a, a team with a dietitian, a physician and a therapist who can communicate frequently to have a comprehensive team-based approach to their treatment. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I mean, even if you're not sure it's important to see someone who can evaluate the situation you're in to help you. So um, it's, it's, it's the statistics on eating disorders, unfortunately are really not great. And so one thing that we know is that early, you know, seeking support early increases the likelihood of someone getting to full recovery. So. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about that full recovery. Um, Mm -hmm. What, what does it look like to be fully recovered? Can someone, because mm-hmm. you said eating disorders do not go away on their own. Someone, mm-hmm. they need to seek treatment with mm-hmm. a clinician specializing in eating disorders. So what does mm-hmm. that look like for you to play a part in eating disorder treatment recovery? Um, can mm-hmm. people fully recover? And what is the hope that you can give others? Absolutely. People recover from eating disorders every day. Um, mm-hmm. When we look at when we look at things that make someone more likely to recover and stay in recovery, that's really what full recovery is. So Mm. sometimes, um, sometimes people will notice things get better, but if they're still a little bit there and they didn't get proper support, it's kind of like leaving a crack in the door Mm. where, you know, throughout their life, when they have different life circumstances or transition times, even if they're happy times, like, graduating or getting married or having a baby, these types of transitions can really kind of leave the perfect opportunity for those struggles to come back in. So I will Mm -hmm. say, you know, getting to a place of saying, okay, it's better is great, but it's important that we feel really good about the place that you're in, in terms of having a, a really solid relationship with food and your body. Now it's hard in the world that we live in, right. To, um, to necessarily love our body, quote unquote, you know, everything about our body. I mean, it's the world that we live in certainly does not make that very doable for people. Um, Mm -hmm. Because again, it's a very weight and food centric world that we live in. But, you know, kind of really, even things that seem small, keeping in mind that progressive nature of these types of challenges. And so they're more likely to pop up later down the road. So Mm -hmm. I think getting Working with someone, even if it's a short period of time, just to kind of get back on track with 
with normalized behavior and pre- prevent that progression from continuing, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that brings awareness in of, okay, I can see these points of progression. Um, I can know, I know this is happening in my own life or, you know, in this loved one's life to be able to get back with a clinician that you trust to be able to get, get back on track. Um, Mm -hmm. So you said there is hope. You see people recover all the time. So that's really Mm -hmm. helpful to hear from someone who Mm -hmm. works with people every day in this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're always looking to identify pieces that could make someone most likely to recover. And I Mm -hmm. think, um, you know, the longer that things continue without seeking support is, you know, reducing those, that likelihood. And so I just, Mm -hmm. I can't express that enough, you know, reach out to someone who can really give you, uh, really give a comprehensive approach to let you know their recommendations or even things to monitor. It's not Mm -hmm. something to intervene on. Maybe we're just monitoring every few months or kind of just checking in. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. And this is another question that we've gotten before. Um, This was from someone who is currently still struggling with an eating disorder and Mm -hmm. they communicate how it is hard to live, you know, in certain relationships that there's a lot of diet talk and, and whatnot. And maybe, you know, most of us don't know what are the words and the things that can kind of trigger um, that progression mm-hmm. again in someone else? Um, mm-hmm. Are there anything, any specific words or things that we can do to help others in their recovery around us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say that it's important to keep in mind that eating disorders are mental illnesses. Mm. They are not just, they are not disorders of choice. They Mm. are not disorders of vanity. Um, These are common misconceptions. And so it's important when, you know, if there's someone close to us that are, that is struggling, that we keep that in mind Mm. and it can feel overwhelming to provide support to individuals and, um, but they need that love and support, as I said, from a place of compassion. Creating an environment that is neutral when it comes to food and bodies is very, very helpful for people who struggle with eating disorders. Part of, I mean, it's helpful for all of us, but especially because a lot of their experiences with food and their body is rooted in guilt and shame. And so when we keep conversation about bodies, very focused on physical appearance, when we keep conversation about food in very black and white categories, like the good, bad, quote, healthy, unhealthy, Mm -hmm. things like that, oftentimes times can really drive that shame and guilt. And so, Mm -hmm. and that can perpetuate eating disorder behaviors. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes it can really be unintentional, Yeah, Uh, but kind of avoiding conversation around food and body may be best. Or, you know, if you are talking about, you know, that person, maybe positive personality traits or things versus physical appearance. And trying to keep that conversation neutral and that they know that they're accepted by you no matter what their body looks like. You know, it's not um, that we don't live in a, in a world that, you know, teaches us body acceptance. We live in a world that has us chasing this moving target when it comes to beauty standards. And so I think, you know, having that neutral environment is, is really helpful. Yeah. Yes. Totally agree. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that requires then all of us to do the work of evaluating 
you know, where are we in the diet culture? Um, mm-hmm. Like, are we participating in that? Because if we are, that's going to make it really hard for others around us who are really struggling. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, <laughs> like that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, educating yourself on eating disorders, uh, working through any misconceptions that you may have, you know, Mm -hmm. on food or nutrition or weight and bodies and, you know, kind of, there are lots of resources to, you know, in terms of how to support someone and things to say that are helpful, not helpful. Mm -hmm. And then ask the person to communicate their needs to you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they are the expert of their own experience. They have, you know, providing validation to their lived experience, even if you may not understand it, mm-hmm. is so important and, and to remain in that space of neutrality and non-judgment. Um, and the other thing is being mindful of how we talk about our own bodies. You know, mm-hmm. it, we sometimes think, well, I didn't say it to them. I didn't yeah. say something to them. But if we're talking negatively about our own bodies or other people's bodies, even if it's a celebrity on TV, you know, people around us who are struggling with food and their body are hearing all of those messages. And that's really important to keep in mind, you know, when we're around and, and even when it comes to bodies, sometimes we, if we compliment someone on their body or their weight, or we think that wasn't a quote bad thing because we complimented them, but we don't really know what else we may have complimented. You know, people, yeah. pretty much every client I have worked with who struggled with food in their body has been complimented at points where they were really struggling and that reinforced a lot of unhealthy behaviors. And so, you know, just really trying to keep that neutrality is, is important. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, yeah. And I also, I was thinking of some scripture too, and we mm-hmm. as a church have been going through, um, this passage in Ezekiel that talks about the Lord being the good shepherd and our church is called good shepherd, but, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. it talks about how the leaders, um, of the church were not um, feeding and taking care of the sheep, but they're taking care of themselves. And so the Lord mm-hmm. comes back and it's Ezekiel, um, chapter 34. And mm-hmm. he just says, like, he says, I will judge between, between the sheep and I will set over them one shepherd. Um, and so like just talking about, you know, I, and I think a lot of times too, we judge each other and we judge ourselves based on those appearances and based on our body. And, and it's like, that's, you know, it's so harmful because it's first of all, not our job. Um, and mm-hmm. leads to, <laughs> it can lead to really harmful things. Like you said, we, we might be commenting on something that we have no idea what, um, what that person's story is and what, what that comment can, can trigger, um, within them. And mm-hmm. so being able to see also that the Lord is the one who is the good shepherd. And, um, even when we do fail, even when we do say the wrong things, when we said the wrong things about ourselves or, and when we've mm-hmm. done the wrong things too, that there is grace because we will fail, mm-hmm. but he is still going to be faithful. He is going, still going to lead us to those green pastures and besides still waters. And, um, mm-hmm. and so uh, I think that is, um, that, that is the helpful and the hopeful piece to see that, okay, mm-hmm. even when we don't do this perfectly, we don't have to, um, because, you know, the Lord says, I will feed them <laughs> and I will lead Absolutely. them. I myself will be the shepherd. 
Um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I think hopefully that can take a little bit of the pressure off and I really appreciate your perspective too. And seeing that, okay, no, you work with people every day. You can see that there is hope there is healing. Um, and there Mm -hmm. are ways that we can step in and participate, um, with, with one another in this conversation around eating disorders. And so, um, and to help like prevent those and to lead us into that positive relationship with food in our body and that it is possible. Um, so Laura, is there anything else that you would like to add um, from this conversation about what Christians need to know about eating disorders? You know, I think that, um, I think we covered a lot. I really think, you know, there are I, because this is what I do, I could probably have this conversation all day, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) you know, just, I think it is so important to, to be mindful of, you know, that we, we are not perfect humans. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to food and our bodies, that's another avenue of our lives where we don't have to strive for perfection. And so I think that's really important and, and trying to stay in that space of, um, you know, flexibility with eating acceptance of our bodies, the way that we, the way that we were designed and that's okay, you know, Mm. and even if that doesn't line up with the world that we live in, I think keeping in mind that it is a moving target, you know, in the world Mm. that we live in where it's, it's oftentimes, you know, we, we see people in, you know, celebrities and we can see that people who struggle with food in their body, it can show up in any one of us. And Mm. so what maybe our perception of someone else's body, you know, in we know the chances that they would agree with us are pretty, it's pretty unlikely, right? It's yeah. pretty, because their perception of their body is different from our own. And so I think it's, it's really hard to move to that space of neutrality and acceptance with our bodies, but also accepting that we don't need to be striving for for perfection. We can be just who we are and that's enough. So yeah, Mm -hmm. we can be who we are and that's enough. The end. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Love that. Okay. Um, Well, Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your expertise, um, your experience as well, and how the Lord has been like you said, it's no coincidence that he brought you to this place and no coincidence that we get to have this conversation today um, to be able to maybe give hope and healing and to someone else and and reach out that hand of compassion and caring and say that the Lord cares about you. And maybe this is maybe this is that sign that he is speaking to you right now and that you that you are loved and that you are good and that you are accepted. Um just as you are. <laughs> so um, you can Absolutely. find Laura too at, um, we will post this too in the show notes. So you can have those links, um, but it's nutrition counseling center on Instagram. And also she's on Instagram at Laura Griffin RD. And then the website is nutrition counseling center.com. Uh, is that all correct? Laura, is there somewhere else? Yeah. People can find you. Those are, those are the main ones. So yeah, absolutely. Perfect. I work on a, I, I work with the team of dietitians who do the same work that I do. So mm. um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, you know, resources out there. And um, if, you know, anyone is looking for more resources also, Casey, I'm happy to share that too. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. So question, practicality question. So nutrition counseling center, do you 
just treat those in your local area or do you also treat people from a virtual standpoint? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the world of the virtual platform, you know, it does it does open up a lot of accessibility, um, but it is kind of a more individualized, it is a very individualized situation. So when mm-hmm. it comes down to individual treatment, there are concerns with that in terms of, um, you know, my ability to work with them, but there are resources even on, you know, the website, social media, as we know, there are things that, uh, and, that they, there are resources for people on a virtual platform, but if there are specific questions, then people can always reach out directly. Cause as I said, mm-hmm. it is a very individualized situation, but I, I do specialize in eating disorders, but I, I, as I said, it is a spectrum. And yeah. so, you know, I, I certainly work with people all along that spectrum of mm-hmm. from normalized eating to eating disorders. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. All right. Great. So we'll make sure to have all your contact information there. And then, so people do have <laughs> questions of where to get some of those resources. They'll reach out to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That'd Wonderful. be great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to pray for us and then, and then we'll head out. So thank you so much again, Laura. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I've really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. So, mm-hmm. okay. Let's take mm-hmm. a deep breath and exhale. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, you love us, that you created us, you sustain us, um, you do the work of giving life. Um, God, I pray that we would continue coming to you for our life, um, for our hope. You say that um, this, you have this hope as an anchor in our souls, God. Um, Pray that for those um, who are listening and may not know you, that you would be drawing them to yourself, um, that no one can come to you except through the Father. And so we um, pray that you would be stirring stirring the hearts um, that with your love and compassion, God, because you love us so much <laughs> that you sent your son to die for us um, and to be raised again. So that is our hope that you are with us here and now um, and will be with us always. So for anyone who is really struggling with this area of food and in their body and their perceptions, God, would you renew their mind? Um, would you start that work and and continue that work and um, walk with them side by side as you um, feed them and help them to rest um, in your presence? And um, and whenever we question or whenever we have anxiety about um, how to walk forward um, with you know ourselves in this struggle or with others, that um, you would continue to guide us. And um, we trust you and we love you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right, friends, until next time, may you rest in his grace and follow the joy. Hey, thanks so much for listening. A very special thank you to all our podcast guests, along with Dwayne Goldbeck for podcast editing and Maddox Schuler for writing and recording our podcast music. Mm-hmm.